Hey, this is Nick Walters with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. And what would our recordings of Webinar Wednesdays be without checking in with our legal team at the Bradley Law Firm in their cannabis group? Whit Steinecker and Hunter Robinson come back yet again and tell us more good information of things we have got to pay attention to as we are moving into more and more trepidation sometimes within the greater legal world of how to grow this legal crop. But just because we know it's legal doesn't mean everybody knows it's legal. And so that's what Hunter and Whit yet again give us great info on. Thank you all very much. Hey, this is Nick Walters with the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And uh, I am um, in Nashville today and glad that I got to drop by the offices of Bradley Arant here in Nashville and be able to uh, sit next to my uh, fellow COVID-free uh, friend, uh, Hunter, here so that we could actually do the webinar live and in person together, as well as getting uh, Whit in from the Birmingham office. And we really enjoyed these uh, webinars that you guys have done. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback from our, uh, from our, our, our um, co-op members and others that how helpful these are to be able to learn and to, and to be able to know some stuff. So that's terrific. And, and thank you for that. So why don't we jump into it? We uh, kind of put together a theme uh, today along the ideas of uh, banking and the hemp business, because we know it's a continual struggle for a lot of our folks. We have several of our members that I know have had trouble just opening up a checking account. Uh, we opened up a checking account for the hemp growers, but I had to do everything but sign in blood that we were not producing anything from hemp and we were an education entity. Otherwise, if we didn't have cooperative in our name, I don't know if they'd have even given us that. And so this is a, a major, larger, regional, southeastern regional bank that begins with R uh, that um, um, uh, barely got us in, quite frankly, but but they did. And so we, we, we were appreciative of that. But I know other folks struggle with it. So uh, let's just make that as part of our dialogue, if that's okay. And sure. maybe we could just kick around some questions. And of course, any of you who are there that would like to ask a question as we go along, maybe we could go through a few things. And then if we don't answer something that in particular that somebody wants to know, we could maybe double back and be able to answer it that way. Would that be okay? Absolutely. I don't know if we do it that way. Okay. So, so tell me now, is it or is it not legal for me to open a checking account um, uh, if I am in the hemp business? And maybe we could also talk about what does that mean being in the hemp business? Um, I it may be a challenge, as, as you've sort of seen, um, but uh, we're going to talk about this in some detail, and I think it's important. We're going to give some some legal background. Okay. It's not necessarily important that you fully understand all the intricacies of the law, but I think it's important that you understand the types of concerns that financial institutions are going to have so that you can help address those and maybe alleviate some of them. Um, so you don't, you know, we're not going to try to take you to law school here um, and the, all the Bank Secrecy Act and money laundering regulations are extremely complicated in some level, but on some level, it's pretty simple. And that is the banks don't want to bank marijuana for some reasons that Hunter can explain. Um, and they don't necessarily understand the distinction uh, between hemp and marijuana yet. And everything's really new and moving quickly. 
and they're trying to get a handle on it. But the answer to the first question that's really important is, sure, it's legal to bank account. It's legal for you to open an account. It's legal for you to take out a loan. It's it's a legal product. Um, and there shouldn't be any restrictions on um, the banking service that a bank could provide to you should it choose to do so. So that's that's the, thre- the threshold answer. The most important thing that we can, otherwise we probably need to wrap it up pretty quick. But as of right now, yep, you can, you can bank out. Right. So that would be, so it's really a kind of an education thing internal, I mean, to that bank to, for them to understand unless it's, or is it a policy thing maybe for so many of them? I know y'all represent banks a good bit and sometimes you're able to, at least the firm, right, be able to, is it just an internal, we have decided until further notice, we're not going to do any hemp accounts until we make that decision or is it, or could it just be flat out, flat out ignorance that just goes, no, I don't think we're doing that. That's marijuana, right? No, we're not doing that. Um, yeah, that's weed. Um, you know, generally, I, I think there's three things and I'll, I'll talk, okay. I'll take the two very quickly and then I'll turn it over to Hunter who's got uh, more of a grounding in the, the banking side of this. But um, one is ignorance for sure. I mean, it's just, isn't that marijuana? Isn't that weed? Isn't that the stuff that we don't do? Um, you know, it's, sometimes the people making the decisions are, you know, they're, they're older, they're more conservative generally, and they think they're making a conservative decision um, because it sounds like a, the type of decision they would have historically made. Um, so ignorance is a huge thing and, and can't overestimate. I mean, most of the people who listen to this are going to be one of the, the most knowledgeable people that they know about him um, as people are still trying to figure things out. So um, helping get them educated is something that we can talk about, but their lack of education on the topic is something that we hear all the time. Really smart bankers who are thinking about it a lot still don't fully understand it. So um, not understanding is one thing. Two, there's this vague thing that we always hear that seems tied together with not understanding it about reputational risk. And, you know, sometimes banks just don't want to be in the business of, um, they surely don't want to be in the business of drugs. But, you know, some banks won't um, do business with um, gun companies or gun sellers, um, even though they certainly can. Um, and I think sometimes that's just a little bit of a cover because they don't fully understand it. But it's also probably true that if they don't understand it, then a lot of their customers or shareholders may not understand it. And so they don't want to do something that even if they understood it, um, would cause you know an erroneous understanding by their shareholders or anyone else about whose opinion they care. Um, and so we hear that a lot. That tends to melt away as they get educated on it, and it starts to become much more of a, okay, well, how do we actually implement if we're going to do this? But that's the, there's that knee-jerk, I don't understand it, sounds like something we shouldn't be doing. You know, it's old man Easier sounds, to say no. It's yeah, and, and, yeah no, sure. I have to try to figure it out. That's right. And, you know, but, you know, I think when they start to see market size, when they start to get and, and start to see projections of market size, when they start to get educated, um, they start to pay attention. And that's really when they've got to dial in. And Hunter, I'll let you take it from here, because once they decide they might be sort of interested in it, now they've got to start, you know, really working through their policies and procedures. So I'll leave it with, with Hunter. Sure. So I think um, as Wood alluded to, kind of giving the background of kind of the, the statutes and the regulations that govern um, that are the main risk for the banks in banking marijuana and then in banking hemp as well. It's kind of helpful to understand um, both why it's so difficult to get an account and then what you will need to get an account or what can help you get an account 
uh, with a bank or get a loan from a bank, which is where we'll spend um, most of the rest of this presentation after this three or four minute spiel I'm about to give. So, so Witt alluded to the Bank Secrecy Act and then the various anti-money laundering regulations um, that are promulgated under that act by various federal agencies, the OCC, FinCEN, um, the Federal Reserve, and others. Um, and so what the Bank Secrecy Act does is um, basically makes banks the first line of defense for money laundering activity. And it does that by requiring banks to set up what's called an AML, which is Anti-Money Laundering Compliance Program, to do due diligence on their customers, to uh, make sure they're identifying their correct customers and you know, think of uh, an LLC with just a bunch of numbers, LLC, who actually owns that. That's, that's kind of what that means. Um, and then to report when they see what is called suspicious activity, um, to report that to FinCEN, which is the federal agency that has kind of primary authority over um, enforcement of the Bank Secrecy Act. And so that applies to everybody. When you go open an account at a bank, they're running all these programs. They're, they're trying to figure out what you're up to. Um, and the way the statute is structured is such that basically the bank identifies the risk of a particular customer and then tailors their kind of monitoring to that customer. So just me, normal nerdy lawyer in Nashville, when I open up a, a bank account, they're probably like this guy. He may be up to something, but I mean, we, there's nothing There's nothing that'll make us think that offhand. So what's said for a gun company, maybe it's a little more for a, you know, a strip club or something, maybe it's a little bit more for a dispensary is surely a lot more. Um, and so that's kind of where we've been at for a while. So, um, and that those statutes have been on the books since the seventies. Um, in 2014, uh, the assistant attorney general named James Cole issued what was called, what is now known as the Cole Memorandum, which was informal guidance from the Justice Department that said, hey, Colorado, Washington, you know, states like that, uh, weed is federally illegal, as y'all know. But if you do these things, if you make sure you're not doing these things, basically, we will exercise our discretion to not prosecute you for it. And it was stuff like, you know, not being a front for an illegal drug operation, not selling to kids, um, kind of everything you would expect, like the actual harms that could come from, you know, from from selling uh, from selling marijuana, um, rather than kind of the 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 harms that uh, maybe have been thought to exist, but actually didn't. And then FinCEN, the agency I mentioned earlier, issued guidance that basically said, yeah, hey, uh, Washington, Colorado businesses there, if you do, if you comply with the Cole Memorandum, we will not prosecute you for money laundering, um, which the money laundering hook there is the statute says proceeds from illegal activity. And uh, since marijuana is a schedule one drug, selling marijuana is an illegal activity. Any money you make from it is laundered money. But you deposit it in the bank, the bank is laundering your money under the statute. Um, so that's what the FinCEN guidance did was basically said, we will not actually prosecute you for that if you follow these cold memorandum directives. Um, Attorney General Sessions in January 2018 rescinded the Cole Memorandum, um, but FinCEN immediately issued another statement that said, FinCEN guidance is still in effect. If you follow the Cole Memorandum, even though it no longer exists, we'll continue not prosecuting you. Um, and that was the status quo until, um, well, it's still the status quo really for marijuana. Um, and so far, there's only been one bank that has been prosecuted solely for banking marijuana. There's other banks that have banked marijuana, but we're doing other stuff bad. 
um, you know, various things that have been prosecuted. But literally a month ago is the first time a bank has ever mm. been popped for marijuana. And that was because they were not following the law. So, you know, it, banking marijuana is illegal. Um, the federal government is not doing anything about it uh, currently. That does not mean that that can't change with a drop of a hat, but they have not been thus far. And so that's the table setting for hemp. Hemp is not marijuana. We obviously, hopefully, uh, as members of the cannabis practice group of this firm, understand that. But that's kind of where everything was. So in 2019, FinCEN, the OCC, the FDIC, and other agencies issued guidance that said, hey, check out the Cole Memorandum. That doesn't apply if you're just banking hemp. If you are just banking hemp, you do not have to file what's called a suspicious activity report just because you are banking hemp. If you're banking marijuana, you have to file a suspicious activity report with FinCEN for every single one of your customers, um, describing their operations. And you can do one that says, hey, these guys look like they're following the Cole memorandum, that's fine. But if the bank determines that somebody's not following that memorandum, they have to tell the federal government, which uh, makes you know marijuana companies not want to do business with banks. And all the compliance costs of, of, of these monitoring procedures makes banks not want to bank it. So December 2019, that guidance is issued. Um, they say hemp is not treated like marijuana. It is just, you know, use your normal BSA, anti-money laundering procedures for your hemp customers. Um, and that was, that they, they stated the purpose of that guidance was so that more banks would bank hemp. Um, this leads back to Witt's kind of broader points. A lot of banks just still aren't doing it because either they don't understand, they don't want to take on the compliance costs, um, reputational risks, everything. Um, and, and what that guidance said was kind of, you don't have to issue to report these your hemp customers solely because they're banking hemp. And, and solely is really the operative word there. Um, banking hemp is still, just like, to, to go back to the same example, a gun company. It is more risky than just providing a bank account to an auto parts store or, you know, something like that. So um, the banks have to spend more money to set up the procedures to bank these customers, and they have to spend more money monitoring those customers. And that is why, really, it is it has kind of remained more difficult to get a, a banking account uh, if you're a hemp company. Uh, hey, let's put just to put a little meat on that. Um, I mean, one of the reasons that it is riskier from the bank's perspective to bank a hemp company, and I'm sure nobody, you know, listening to this would fall into this category, but if I'm a bank, I'm worried that, okay, um, you know, Bob comes in, wants to open up an account. He's got a couple of acres of hemp that he's got planted. Um, you know, he's got, he's got a few rows of hemp on some property that he's got all checks out. We might even send a person out there to look at it, you know, have it tested, maybe get certificates of analysis. You can do all sorts of diligence. Um, a bank could. But what's to say that, you know, by year three, you know, maybe a couple of those rows, maybe they're growing a little something different. Um, you know, how's the bank to know? They could send somebody out there all the time. They, you know, do testing, but banks don't do that. Um, you know, they could outsource it, but that's expensive. And, you know, maybe a customer would pay for it, but maybe not. Maybe they just don't want to deal with it. Maybe they don't want to be banking the proceeds and that person gets arrested for growing marijuana surreptitiously. And then all of a sudden the bank has got its own sort of money laundering questions because it was providing financial services, albeit unwittingly. But, you know, do they really want to argue that they did everything they had to do in order to satisfy the requirements under 
the money laundering statutes and the Bank Secrecy Act, those are largely untested. Um, and so you can see how it would become a little bit of a hassle and how you know some banks may just say, look, we don't, we don't want to touch this at all. And, and it's not hard to imagine how you would have a creep factor for you know, maybe what you described to the bank at first was completely legal. And then over time, either intentionally or unintentionally, the things you were doing came became out of step with the relevant laws. So I think that's one of the things when we talk about sort of the risk, you know, it's not necessarily so much that the risk of what you say you're doing violates sort of current law as sort of a static thing, but you know, the your business practices over time, how that intersects with sort of a constantly evolving cannabis legal regime that that does sort of cause the lawyers that work for banks you know some type of concern that that they may find themselves in a situation that that they didn't really bargain for so i think that's one of the things that they think about when they think about the risk so sorry to interrupt no you're good i mean that that's yeah that that, that kind of puts a point on it and i mean more and more banks are starting to bank out as, as anybody listening to this knows is still you can't just walk into any bank and open a bank account um, if you're a hemp company but, you know, as the costs, as the benefits of getting hemp, more hemp customers and getting more deposits increase, the, they will eventually start to outweigh the risks and the costs. I mean, you know, you're looking at a mid-sized bank, if they decide to start banking hemp full-time, would probably have to spend seven figures just initially building out their compliance program. Sure. And then all, there's all those added costs Whit talked about of just, you know, engaging vendors to do sure. drive-bys to, um, Maybe, you know, they have 30 lawyers in their compliance department. Maybe they have to hire five more in-house guys just to kind of evaluate all this stuff. Um, so that's a big cost. And right now for a bank in Nashville, maybe they don't do that to get a thousand or, you, you know, say a couple hundred temp customers. But maybe if they're getting six or seven hundred, you know, the, the, the benefits are to outweigh the risk. And that's kind of what is slowly happening. I think that's where we're, where we're getting to um, slower than we would all like. But, but, but where is heading? But some of that. Did you have another? I don't, I don't know. Does some of that also flow over into those, <clears throat> excuse me, credit card processing companies and others that are, are they kind of, I know there are some in the space that have said, yeah, we'll go in it. We'll, we'll, we'll be glad to do it. But others are not. And, and is that because they can't get the bank to give you a Visa card or a MasterCard to do it because they're not willing to do it? Or is it just because those processing companies are probably feeling some of the same concern. Like PayPal, I think you could do it, right? You can do it. I mean, they're not, but they're not a bank, right? So is that a, is there a differentiator there for me as the layman to understand why they can do it and because they chose to or? Yeah, we can, we can both probably address this. So one thing, you know, the Bank Secrecy Act and the money laundering laws typically only apply to, uh, financial institutions, and that is a defined term. And it's broader than you might think, but it's um, bank is sort of the, the paradigm um, for what a financial institution is. Um, so if you don't fall within the definition of financial institution, then you're sort of almost not capable of money laundering in, in, in some respects, sort of as a matter of law. You may be violating other rules, but you know it's not sort of classic money laundering. And so... I think a lot of the companies that are offering sort of credit card processing services are doing one of two things. Either they have figured out that their 
that the certain statutes don't apply to them. First of all, if we're talking about hemp, again, all of this should be legal. I mean, it, it, there's very little things you can do with hemp, subject to a couple of caveats that we could talk about, sort of with FDA rules. Delta 8 may be a good example. But generally speaking, if it starts out legal and it finishes legal, then all the stuff you want to do with it, I mean, substitute hemp for grain and, you know, it's essentially the same thing. Um, but a lot of these companies that will offer services, processing services to hemp companies will also do it to marijuana companies. And they have either, um, you know, figured out that they're comfortable sort of either with sort of the FinCEN guidance that, you know, they're fitting within some sort of description. They're also probably not subject to some of the AML rules and money, money laundering rules because maybe they're not a financial institution. And also, they just decided they're going to make as much money as they can. And then, you know, if somebody ever comes knocking, they'll figure that out then. And that, that's, you know, the marijuana business was uh, largely developed under that sort of uh, mindset. And so I uh, wouldn't, for anybody listening, certainly don't assume that just because someone's offering you a service that it must be legitimate or legal. Um, it may be useful and good, and they may not get caught and it, it may be a low risk, but um, there's a lot of people out there offering services in the cannabis world that, you know, if somebody ever came to enforce, you know, state or federal laws would conclude that it was, um, conclude that it was illegal. So, um, and I think that's what a lot of those companies are doing. Now, a lot of typically what they're doing though, they're operating at a, a sort of a heightened diligence. Um, they tend to know who they're working with. They try to avoid high risk people who are in companies that are, likely to attract scrutiny, which then brings more scrutiny on them. So, you know, for example, the credit unions that'll bank marijuana, um, you know, a lot of them have, you know, in-person interviews, for example, with the companies that they bank so that they really understand, um, you know, who it is they're dealing with and the likelihood that those people will be subject to enforcement action, because that's really sort of where the blowback is going to come from on the bank as if, you know, somebody goes out and it turns out this company is a front for a, a drug cartel. Um, you know, that's um, international and multi-state drug cartel, the feds, you know, come in and start asking a bunch of questions. They're like, where do you do your banking? And now the bank really has a problem. So um, that's a lot of what's going on there in my experience. But Hunter, you may have a different view. Sure. Uh, the only thing I'll add that, uh, there is that, I mean, there's still a link to a financial institution somewhere, even if, if that, that card processor isn't, um, you know, discover it. And just like keeping, you know, a trillion dollars in a vault somewhere to process credit cards. They, they have a bank account, so they may just not have a bank that will allow them to process their payments through there. Um, so, I mean, really, if you're if you're dealing in anything except cash, um, it's pretty difficult not to get somewhere that there's a covered financial institution that has to apply has to comply. I'm sorry with these rules. So, um, you know, until the big banks really open up on it. Um, all of that stuff will be will be pretty difficult to to do right with respect to marijuana. With hemp, again, it's really just risk benefit and, and reputation. There's nothing that stops the companies from doing uh, hemp as a legal matter. My guess would be that community banks are probably slower to come along than larger regional institutions. Well, it, so it can be different, right? So on the one hand, you could view them as it would be, it'd be understandable if you viewed them as sort of less sophisticated, right? They don't have maybe all the resources and like the fancy New York lawyers and 
and all the cutting edge people that, you know, they're board super conservative. It's or it's a family bank. All right. In Alabama and Tennessee board for a hundred years. And they're not, why we ain't doing that. Well, we talk to people all the time, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, who, yeah, you're, you, you roll in to talk to the board and you realize pretty quickly there's some resistance. Um, you know, that's not, not how daddy used to do it, uh, you know, back in the day. And, and, and that's, that, that is totally understandable. On the other hand, a lot of them are laboratories for, um, you know, really progressive thought on this issue, too. And I think part of that is just they're, they're differently regulated. So they're still subject to the same statutes. Um, they, they can't violate the Bank Secrecy Act with impunity if, for example, they're just a state-chartered um, credit union. But, you know, the people who regulate them and the people who check with them are, are different than, you know, FinCEN. Um, and and, they're, and they're, the licenses that they stand to lose are different. And that make, may make them more or less comfortable, you know, doing something that is a little bit otherwise out of their comfort zone. So I think it goes both ways. A lot of times what you saw in the marijuana business was that the credit unions were on the front line of doing stuff. Now, admittedly, that was typically, you know, out West and not um, in the, in the South and Southeast. Um, But there's been, you know, we found when we've been um, looking for banking services for some of our clients, the credit unions have been, um, you know, willing to step up to the plate and certainly not all of them, probably not most of them, but in a way that, um, you know, some of your traditional and regional national banks are not. So it's kind of like when SBA Small Business Administration came out with their LODOC program, or I mean, you know, where you just, you could go in, some banks said, man, this is a great way for us to do this. We need to get in this program. We need to be a preferred lender with SBA. Look at all the business we could build. Or we really need to do these USDA guaranteed loans because this is something we really see that the bank can do, carve out a niche. We were, and so that maybe then, if I'm hearing you right, these community banks and, and credit unions can move quicker and make decisions quicker about kind of jumping into a niche like that than maybe a national and a regional group is going to be more, it's going to take them longer because they're going to have longer processes and they're going to have more people to kind of work that through. So it, it really yeah. kind of depends, right? It just They probably know their customers a little less too. I mean, you know, they probably know them, um, you know, sufficiently from a legal sense. There's, there's literally something called like a know your customer um, type of regulation. But, you know, they, they have fewer customers, right? They tend to know who they are. And they're like, well, you know, Bob's down there. He's selling industrial hemp. Like, I know what he's doing. I've been down there. I've seen it. Like, no problem. Whereas if you go to, you know, insert one of the big five or 10 banks, um, it's a lot of layers to go through. And they have to be mindful that when they set a policy, that it could be for mil- that it will be for millions of customers and not maybe, you know, the 30 or 40 that a community bank may be addressing, you know, when they make a sort of a niche policy change. Cool. Well, I'd, I'd like us to talk about cryptocurrency. I see we got a question about that, but I'd like us to talk about lending. But before we get to that, <clears throat> kind of walk me through the scenario. If I am a co-op member and I am in XYZ town and I'm having trouble getting my lender or my banker or maybe my loan off or, or whoever's maybe not the teller, but maybe probably who is the, you know, the the uh, uh, person on your account or something like that and open your account up. If I need some help to do that and I need some help because I don't feel comfortable 
talking to that person who probably is just kind of pulling the Nuremberg. Well, that's just what they tell me. You know, yeah. there's nothing else I can really do about that. There's nothing we can do. Tell me how getting in contact with you guys to help block and tackle to do that work. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you guys could do for customers, right? For- yeah, we, we, we do that. Um, uh, I was working with somebody in Nashville recently on something like that. And um, that can take a couple of different forms. And it doesn't have to be us. You know, other lawyers who are knowledgeable in the space could probably help you too. But a lot of times a financial institution will get a lot more comfortable with an arrangement if it comes with sort of the um, with the imprimatur of legitimacy from um, a, a lawyer. And that can be like a, a legal opinion um, where there's it's literally like a letter that just says, um, you know, Nick says um, that he's, Nick has asked me to evaluate the legality of, of, you know, this business and of providing financial services. And to hear the facts, you know, Nick does X, Y, Z. He's an industrial hemp producer. Here's what he does. Here's what he doesn't do. You know, here's the applicable laws, you know, based on these laws that apply here, um, you know, what he's doing is lawful activity. A lot of times the bank can then take that and that, that, you know, sort of gives them, they feel like they're good. Right. And if ever, if, if everything goes haywire, they can at least say, look, I mean, you know, these guys walked us through it. It made sense to us. Our in-house guys sort of checked, checked it off the list and said, sounds good. And so um, a lot of times that'll give people a measure of comfort. You can try to do it yourself. I mean, and I think you should educate yourself. It can be challenging too. And especially if, if you start to get pushed back on, I mean, a lot of times, you know, the banks, if they're reticent, you know, they can just use sort of declaratory, like we don't do that or it's illegal. And it's hard to sort of fight that sometimes if you don't, if you're not really armed with the specifics, but um that's a, that's a service that we provide to people, um, and we're happy to do it if anybody is having tr- trouble and they want to contact us, um, because that, that tends to go a long way, and you end up educating yourself a little bit too, and it's probably a little less um, a little less uh, expensive than you might think, because the reality is it's a pretty simple analysis. They just need to hear it from somebody other than the person who's trying to get them to, you know, let them do something. Sure. Or it may be that you as counsel call their counsel, right? And just say, hey, by the way, we've got some customers that are coming in and we've got some people that are customers of your bank and they're trying to open an account because it may very well be that that account officer down the the line there, how long it takes that account officer to move it back up to get the answer. You guys coming in, talking to their legal counsel and going, hey, boom, we just, this is where we're headed. Probably would shortcut a lot of that bureaucratic going into the local branch and them having to talk to the regional manager, rah-rah. In my experience, their, their lawyers really tend to think it's kind of cool once you start walking walking on through it and they're, they they are surprised at how easy it actually is if they're just wanting to do it. And then they end up becoming advocates for sort of trying to change the business side's um, position on it. Right, right. I, I remember <laughs> our my fellow founding partner, Roger Ford, when Roger first opened up a a hemp checking account uh, at his local branch um, uh, in Kentucky. He went in and got it all filled up and he'd known the lady that was the, the account manager. There was already an account manager on his other accounts and went in and set it up. Not only did she get up and, and uh, escort him out of the bank, but she immediately made a phone call to the sheriff and she made a phone call to his preacher. 
at the same time and told him, <laughs> and told him can I'm you great. believe this guy's coming in here bringing this hair crazy wacky weed he's trying to grow it right here and wants me to bank it no way so i'm sure sure you guys hear all kinds of stories about something akin to that just and it's just it's just an ignorance piece. And I, I get part of They're that. becoming rarer and rarer. Okay. But uh, yeah, you, you would have talked to us three or four years ago that, was, that kind of stuff was what, much more prevalent. Right. Well, let's, hey, Michael's got a question here about cryptocurrency. And um, uh, I don't, can you see that question sure. there? Can y'all read it? I can't without my glasses, but um, Wait, can it you says, where, where does cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency fit in here? Uh, is it under the same restrictions currently for the hemp industry or free from them? Um, Hunter, I'll, I'll let you take it after I just say, I mean, again, there really aren't any restrictions for the hemp industry. So, um, you know, if your bank will take crypto or the people you're trying to pay with crypto are happy with taking crypto, then the fact that it is in conjunction with hemp shouldn't be much of a problem. Now, if you show up with a bunch of hemp and a bunch of crypto, I mean, you might talk about sort of that spectrum of risk that a bank looks at. Um, I think mean, that puts you pretty high on their sort of, that's going to set off some alarms, but it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't make it illegal. And in fact, it's not illegal. Um, now, marijuana and crypto, that, that legitimately is, I usually get this wrong. That's DEF CON 1 probably. That's Seth Rode. There's a reason they did it that way. <laughs> um, and so, uh, that, so marijuana, you know, it's, it's not necessarily legal to bank it. There's enforcement decision, enforcement priorities that hunters set out, um, and prosecutorial discretion that's, that says that if you do X, Y, and Z, you won't be prosecuted. Um, but I would say that if you're using crypto with a marijuana transaction, uh, you may be okay, but if things started to go south, it just strikes me as the type of thing that would would look like bad evidence. It would. It, it just has that sort of tinge. You're of right in trouble, really. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of like, you know, that's, if I was, a, you know, I was about to say if I was a lawyer, or if I was, <laughs> but uh, I'm both, and uh, that would be something that I would really like to show to a jury if I were trying to get you in trouble. And not only were you doing this thing, but you were doing it with this sneaky currency, you know, that nobody really understands. And so I just I think that kind of goes back to one of the things we talked about previously with um, um, with sort of FDA and sort of just trying to keep, you know, if you're going to do these things that are in the gray area, sort of the profile you keep matters. Um, and I think that probably falls with crypto uh, when we're talking about marijuana. Again, crypto with him, nothing inherently wrong with it. It's entirely legal, provided that you're you know using the, the hemp and the cryptocurrency in a legal fashion. Um, but you're probably going to get more questions from a financial institution, uh, not not fewer. Hmm. All right, let's um, let's talk about lending just a minute. Do you think some of these? It, are you finding that there's any really big difference? Is opening a checking account and getting a loan any different because it's going for let's just say for a fiber processing facility, yeah. and you're not even doing. Anything that is, you know, but but it's hemp and you're making, you know, whatever, pillowcases with it. And and that's what you want to be able to make with it. Are, are you seeing any difference in that versus just flat out opening up a checking account? I think most of them start with the, most banks start with deposits, right? If they're going to dip their toe in, they like the, that's an easy way to do it. 
Um, it's also because it's an easy way to get out if you want to. And, you know, easy enough just to call call you up and say, we're closing your account. Here's your money. Um, it's kind of an easy walk away. And so I think that gives people a measure of comfort. And, and certainly, you know, within the last couple of years, as banks have started to come online. Um, we've heard people say, yeah, we'll, we'll open an account for them, but we don't want to do any um, uh, any lending just yet. I think that's that's certainly starting to change. Um, and also, you know, banks see, you know, some real financing opportunities and some real projects in the hemp space. Um, and they want to be able to say yes to it. And there's no real reason they shouldn't say yes to it. But there's a couple of, maybe one huge practical thing that I can think of that would counsel not lending. Um, and if I were advising a bank, I would say, listen, I think you should do it, but you just want to be mindful of this thing. And that is, if the customer ends up being outside of the law, either because the law changes or what the customer's doing changes, if the collateral is, for example, the equipment or the land or the building, and it's just the subject of a civil forfeiture, well, now you've got a huge lending problem, right? Because now your collateral just wants the government with very little recourse. And um, that's, that's, that's one of the main reasons for sort of the interest rates are so high if you wanted to do like a marijuana lending, um, where it's typically hard money lending at, at um, interest rates sort of in the low to mid-teens. Um, it's just that risk premium. And so I'm curious as to what we're going to see from banks, if they're going to apply a little bit of a risk premium, but maybe not quite as much. There's certainly not something illegal or wrong about doing the lending, but I think that's something they just need to see more. They need to do it a little bit more, have some successes with it, have people get more comfortable with it. Um, and then, you know, I think it'll be, um, you know, a booming operation um, and a booming business. Um, so, but you can do it now. And if your bank's willing to do it, that's great. A lot of them are. Some of them are. Uh, typically, if, if the bank, if you're trying to get them off the ground from doing zero, um, your best chance is going to be with the deposit. But you know, if you can explain to them the benefit and maybe be willing to pay a little bit of a risk premium, then you may surprise yourself. Right. Or if you have a contract in hand from somebody that's, yeah. you know, Patagonia is going to write you a $5 million check for some fiber, you might, <laughs> you might be able to get that finance, right? Better than just going, I really think people are going to buy this once I start opening up my shop. That's a totally different deal. That's just banking. Obviously no names, but um, I've been <laughs> amazed at people's willingness to, once they start to hear about, you know, big orders or, you know, once they start to see the numbers, they'll be like, well, that's not really a loan. That's more of a, that's, you know, that's kind of like a, maybe like a line of credit. We're okay to do that. Or yeah, that's just an equipment lease. That's not really, and it's like, they're, they're in the business of making money. Sure, and sure. if it's, that's when you really realize that it's a, that the reputational thing is so squishy and soft, right? Because if it turns out that they can make real money on it, then all of a sudden they tend to get a lot more comfortable with the reputational, you know, harm they may or may not face. So I think um, how that works. Right, right. Take take it to these people and you know make them say no. Interesting, interesting. Anything to add to that? Is that no? That's about right. I mean, I think on the kind of commercial lending and, and mortgage lending. I mean, yeah, you're going to pay probably a, a risk premium of a you know a couple 
couple points on the interest rate. I think you, you know, they may want some more guarantees than they would if you were just buying a building for McDonald's. Yeah. But I mean, it all kind of goes into the bucket like any other, like any other kind of commercial lending does is, is they're, they're accounting for their risk and they're trying to protect it. So, you know, if you've been in the, in the car business, the car dealership business, um, and you go try to buy a similar building for a greenhouse or a, a grow house for a pimp, um, you're probably not gonna get the same terms, but you know, you just need to be ready to expect that. Yeah. And that's probably a maturation thing for the industry too. Sure. I think that'll probably be there in the long term, but but less so. I yeah. mean, this is always going to be a high risk business um, or a high risk client for a bank, but it is becoming less and less so over time. Cool. So talk about the SAFE Act. I know that's the um <clears throat> the ongoing tweaking with the banking laws, right? Of things that are, are moving its way through Congress and some some Big milestones have already taken place already, right? Just on, but but then there are other things that they're finding, making it better or or less risk for the banks. Is that what that's really about? Sure. So that this is actually it's pretty easy to discuss um, with kind of the, the legal background of earlier. What the Safe Banking Act will do if it passes is basically make it where uh, selling marijuana is not proceeds of illegal activity. So it just takes that whole operation outside of the purview of the Bank Secrecy Act. Um, so then you're not having to do the enhanced due diligence or the same level of enhanced due diligence on a marijuana company. You're not having to file a suspicious activity report on every marijuana company. Um, the Safe Banking Act will not necessarily apply to hemp because hemp is already outside the purview of the Bank Secrecy Act because it's, no, it's not an illegal activity to sell it. Um, but I think that kind of stuff kind of builds more into the the perception and the reputational risks. You know, when Congress, you know, Congress passes a bill signed by the president that says you can just bank, you can bank marijuana now. It's, it's not illegal at all. That probably has a downstream flow into the hemp world where they say, well, hell, if I can bank marijuana, I can certainly bank hemp. Um, and the Safe Banking Act, so it, it went, correct me if I'm wrong, it just passed the House again this week, right? Right. And the holdup in uh, the last uh, Congress was with it not getting out of committee, with committee being controlled um, with Republicans that were, you know, generally a little less um, favorable to marijuana. Um, now that those committees are controlled by Democrats, it, it seems like it'll get out of committee, and it, it seems to have had the four votes for a while. Um, so that's something that should pass, although it may get held up with kind of some of these broader legalization efforts. Um, is kind of the, you know, the Safe Banking Act probably passed now but it may get kind of wrapped up into a bigger bill. Yeah, I think it has the votes. It's your question, though, is it going to be that sort of, you know, a lot of very progressive cannabis uh, legislators and, and, and activists and lobbyists are pushing for much broader reform. And they think now is the time to do it right. They've got control of Congress. They've got the White House, even though they don't. I'm, I'm sure the, I'm sure many people are satisfied with President Biden, but he, he's he's not the you know, pro-cannabis um, Democrat that that you might have wanted if you were um, if you were of that persuasion. And uh, I guess the best way to put it is: it, Are we going to get a sort of a perfect as the enemy of the good situation? You know, is it going to be is incrementalism a bad word here, or, or is it you know let's get this passed and then you know this will really open the financial systems, which are really, I mean. All the banks won't participate at first, right? All the banks are participating in hemp, even though they can. But you know what this would do over time, and the having money come in, the free flow of of funds, and having it not be at such exorbitant interest rates, 
um, having sort of the smart money come in, um, I think it would be it move light years of growth for the uh, for the industry. You know, but if you feel like this is sort of a one shot deal and you want to make sure you're getting sort of your um, social equity type pieces uh, included in the legislation, um, more of a legalization or decriminalization or um, you know um, um, you know expungement of um, pr- prior um, marijuana possession charges, that type of thing. Well, then maybe you feel like no, this is terrible because they're going to pass safe, and then everybody's going to be good with marijuana law for a little bit, and then you know next time anybody's got the appetite to take it up, you know maybe we don't have um, sort of the the government's not set up the way we want it. So I see both sides to it. Um, you know I tend to think let's get something. Um, that's just sort of my personal position because I think people would have jumped at that, you know, two years ago, and now I think they absolutely have it. Um, if they want it. And, but there's a real fight. And I've been on some calls with some, um, you know, uh, members of Congress and some, you know, high level activists who are pretty dead set on, you know, sort of going for everything and not trying to take the incremental position. That's a big fight in the community. So um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I think I'm with you on that just because just as a total little sidebar for this, I spoke to a rotary club yesterday and, um, just on the co-op and who we were and what we were doing. And this is, you know, Main Street, regular, you know, Rotary Club folks, right? And there were 35, 40 uh, at there, and there were two judges and about five um, uh, retired bankers and, you know, typical crowd, right? That you would, you know, some real estate developers and the, you know, the, the, the same and um, a guy that owns a newspaper chain. And out of that, I had one person that understood the difference between hemp and marijuana before it came in the door, okay? And, and then as they kind of understood more about what hemp can do and how it works and all the rest of this, and oh yeah, I know somebody that takes CBD. Oh, I didn't get it, you know. I throw all that out there to say, that's probably not a cut of the world, right? But if that's the crowd that it's probably going to be more anxious about what are you doing now and opening up these floodgates and doing all the rest of this. If we get what we can get now, put a stake in the ground and go, now there's something to build from, that's probably a lot better than thinking you're going to change the hearts and minds of folks like that I was speaking to yesterday. Okay. So, and, and yeah, well, and it's great. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, that that's certainly true and there's still resistance to it, but I mean, kind of the, the public support and how it has grown for marijuana over the last few years is, is insane. I mean, it has a majority support in both parties. Uh, the numbers overall are like over right around or over 70% or in favor, favor of, of medical, not much falls off of that percent recreational. So, I mean, at the support's there, the votes are there for a lot of reform. But yeah, I mean, it goes back to Witt's point. It's just, you know, there's kind of the activists are kind of out for out for blood right now. And, if, you know, they may, if they can't get it all, they may not get anything. That's kind of the risk. And hemp banking, hemp banking, it's, um, if safe passes, then sort of marijuana banking becomes like the new sort of trendy thing for banks to look at, right? And some of them will decide they want to, some of them won't. That has to be great for hemp because it's, the, it's sort of like outrunning the bear. Right now, hemp is trying to outrun the bear, but now uh, if they pass safe, hemp just has to outrun marijuana. Um, <laughs> you know, people right. are thinking, they're like, well, listen, we're, le- you know, we're totally legal. Like, we don't have any issues. 
right? So I do think that'll help. One last thing real quick that, that, sure. I, that I want to mention briefly. We talked about Delta 8 a couple of different times. You know, one thing to think about, um, you want to be very careful, I think, if you're talking to a bank about Delta 8, because I still think there's serious questions about the legality of it, um, even if you ultimately could prevail on some sort of judge or jury that it was legal. Um, that's just, if I'm advising a bank, one of the things I'm telling them is, you know, be careful for how they're, what they're doing with them. Right. I mean, you can't if you're a hemp grower, you can't necessarily be held responsible for somebody, you know, three or four steps down the chain, what they use the hemp for. Um, I still think you can put things in your contract to protect yourself and representation and warranties and talked about those types of things. But, you know, I would be careful going into a bank saying, look, I make this Delta 8 product and we do this, you know, we put it in food and drinks and, you know, all the types of things that. Because you can use hemp in a way that is not entirely lawful. Um, hemp itself is fine. The way you use it based on sort of FDA rules, FTC rules, if you advertise it um, in a certain way, you know, at that point, you become a little bit worried. So I would be mindful of that. Just if you're talking to anybody, lawyer can help you out with that. But if you're talking to the bank, um, just make sure you're, um, the way you're describing what it is that you're doing Um your use with hemp is consistent with sort of existing laws. Good counsel. Well, that's why we do this is because we want good counsel. If I want a bad counsel, I'd talk to myself and I'd do my own and do my own webinar. How about that? So that's terrific. I don't see any more um, uh, questions in the, in the chat box there. Um, any closing off comments from either y'all are good? Um, I don't believe so. Okay. Well, uh, well, thank you. We appreciate that. Appreciate it. I'm glad I got to be here live and in person with, with, with Hunter today. Uh, next week uh, for our webinar is um, uh, Adrian Zelski with High Grade Hemp, High Grade Hemp Seeds uh, and um, uh, hemp services that they have been offering, particularly along seed lines uh, in Colorado for the past couple of years, just got purchased by a larger group called Santa Fe Hemp Company. And uh, they are really on the march to do a whole lot of things uh, throughout the country. And so Adrian's gonna come fill us in on that some next week as well, and uh, give us some more idea about uh, the ever evolving marketplace of seeds. And that seems to be always something that we're, everybody's interested and concerned about is, when can I plant, how do I know it? Who's a seed broker? Who's really got their own genetics? Who's just selling some seed from some cat in Romania? How do I know what I got in my hands? All of those type of things are are an ongoing issue for our co-op members. So we're we're gonna we're gonna pick Adrian's brain on part of that next week. So thanks a bunch if you are uh, signed up for this, but uh, didn't uh, are not on our uh, mailing list. We hope that you will go back to our website and and sign up for our mailing list so that you can. Uh, get on our at least our weekly email updates about what we're doing and knowing who the next week's uh, webinar is going to be with. All right, so every third Wednesday, we've got you guys, right? So uh, we'll see you guys in a month, if not before then. Thanks. 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 This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.